Well, hello and good day, beautiful podcast family. I hope that wherever you are on this planet, you're doing amazing. And as always, I'm sending my prayers and well wishes your way. We've got an absolutely fantastic episode of the show for you today. We've got Brad Kearns on. This man is an expert in so many things regarding diet, peak performance, fitness, happiness, and all the things in between. And uh, in this one, we entitle it an easy formula for living with vitality and passion. So in this one, uh, you know, Brad's a very fascinating guy, as you're going to find out, but he was, you know, an elite triathlon competitor. He got to number three in the world which is an absolutely phenomenal accomplishment and he's continuing to teach on all of the things that he learned along the way that it doesn't matter if you're a peak performer or you're just a regular joe you can apply these things so we talk about the intimidation factor uh, pure motivation and goal setting uh, not attaching self-esteem to results carol dweck's book mindset uh, mark manson's book subtle art of not giving an f uh, his brad's morning routine we talk about creating positive habits and how we can do that getting rid of processed food the basics of diet the basics of longevity the basics of health um getting in the groove self-worth and so much more this is a phenomenal show i know you're gonna like it and if you do please share it with your friends far and wide uh, consider leaving a review in itunes and most importantly consider doing three kind acts wherever you are in the world today and for those of you guys who are interested in working with me one-on-one -on -one and you want to design and craft a clear and powerful vision for your future from your authentic self and learn tools and strategies for overcoming limitations or your ego when it's going to distort that vision and tools and processes to actually bring it into this reality so you can become the absolute best version of yourself. Hit me up, matt at zenathlete.com or go to mattbelair.com forward slash coaching. I'd love to hear from you and support you on your journey. Now, um, that's it. You can also head over to mattbelair.com and uh, join the email list for sure. And also be consider becoming a member if you want to support the show or you can do so for free as well. There is exclusive content on there for the members. So that's it. Let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we dive into the show. Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with joy, peace, purpose, power, faith, courage, and get ready to enjoy this amazing episode with Brad Kearns. Hello and welcome to the Mastermind, Body, and Spirit Show. I'm your host, Matt Belair. If you want to support this show, head over on to mattbelair.com and consider becoming a member for free or by donation and get access to exclusive content. But the best way to support this show is to consider doing three kind acts wherever you are in the world today. Today's guest has written 20 books on diet, health, peak performance, and ancestral living. He is an elite triathlon competitor, winning 31 global events and reaching third in the world. He holds a Guinness World Record and is a New York Times best-selling author. Welcome to the show, Brad Kearns. Matt, thank you. What a what an exciting moment to connect and be live streaming on YouTube. And I love your show format where we get to just go with the flow. I have so many uh, interesting topics that uh, consume me being in this health and fitness world for so long. And as you heard from my brief bio, you know, I, I've been an athlete that has kind of framed my life since I was a little kid, uh, particularly the, the nine-year career that I had 
competing as a professional triathlete. And that was a long time ago, man. I'm, I'm an old guy now. I just had a birthday. I'm proudly 58. 58 is great. And so I, I raced triathlons as a young guy and I was completely immersed in the, you know, the, the world of elite performance and training all day long and traveling all over the world and, and doing these, these big races and everything was so intense. And, uh, you learn the lessons of success and failure in such a, a dramatic manner. And with that period of my life long gone, I want to kind of reference some of the most the, the great richness and the lessons that I learned and keep some of that magic in my life forever. So I have this theme of pursuing peak performance with passion throughout life. So now as an old guy, I no longer wish to spend my entire day riding my bike in the mountains and and and, and traveling around and, and, and jumping in the lake and, and racing and competing. But I have other competitive interests that are really interesting to me. And I love, you know, going for a master's track and field competition and high jumping and sprinting quite a bit different from the endurance athlete that I was, you know, back in my, in my youth and my prime, but I still have that competitive edge that's present in my daily life so that I can have some excitement. I'm getting up, I'm focused. I do my workouts. They mean a great deal to me, even though I'm no longer competing at the elite level, I get to compete against the old guys and try to measure up. And and there's always a standard to achieve and something that gets you excited and gets you going. And I know you can reference this from your your time in the world of snowboarding, where you know you're going to get maximum air and go for the greatest uh, you know greatest efforts you know when you're when you're a young guy. But then there's always a way to find something that will intrigue you and challenging you and new skills and things that will keep you keep you sharp rather than what we see in real life a lot is, hey, back in the day, I was a big time athlete. And now you spend your weekend on the couch watching uh, the NFL for nine hours straight or whatever. We, we tell stories and we kind of retreat into spectator mode rather than finding ways to stay engaged and stay strong and, and vibrant and energetic throughout life. Yeah, well, you know, I I love all that, and I I totally agree with what you're saying about uh, well everything, but just the idea of being an athlete throughout your life. I always thought as I got older that I would get better. I might not be able to <laughs> do the things that I used to be able to do. So I find it's interesting where a lot of people kind of fall off, and then they their health really deteriorates. It's like they've they put so much into it, and then they can't even look at it. So you've you've been in this game a long time. You've achieved amazing results. You're getting to third in the world for a triathlete, which is absurd a friend of mine trained to run one triathlon or compete in one uh wait what's the yeah triathlon um for a year and a half he never had the opportunity uh because when he was at his peak covid shut shut all the races down but the amount of effort that he had to put in just to just to finish it just to finish it i was i was just so impressed and so the amount of mental fortitude and understanding that you need to know about your body and health and to be able to push your limits uh, and this shows in all your work the courses you do um what you talk about what you teach so there's a lot of different ways we could go here i'd love for you to maybe start on a little bit of just the tools for um maybe mindset, peak performance. And if someone's trying to pursue a goal, what are some of those keys that got you to the top in the world? And then we'll move into some, uh, like there's all these other important factors of diet and things like that, but we'll try to steer it where you think is, is best. Yeah. Thank you. And I think, you know, I, I come out uh, blazing here at the start of the show, but I think one important thing to appreciate is that 
you know, an elite athletic experience is not going to be of interest to everyone. A lot of us are living the lives that we choose and we have responsibilities and interests and hobbies. And we're not, you know, consumed by the gym culture and a CrossFit freak or the person that, you know, spends all weekend running on the trails for hours. And so I think we have to create a personal experience that's something that we have interest and, and passion and sort of a, a calling to. And a lot of people get discouraged, intimidated, and shoved aside uh, by the competitive setting. And it starts when we're little kids. And, you know, the the, the kids that are the best athletes, boy, they get, um, you know, brought right into the centerpiece of the system. And young Grant Wayne Gretzky from Brantford, Ontario, uh, they found him when he was nine and they played against the 12-year-olds. And then when he was 17, he was drafted and he became the greatest. And so that's really nice for the people that are naturally athletically inclined. But I think we leave so many people behind, even when you're talking about going down to your neighborhood gym and having a fitness experience because of this intimidation factor and the measuring judging culture and the influence of social media where all you're seeing is six packs and people that are performing these amazing feats and you feel like, well, you know, that's not me. And so you completely disengage. And the other big complaint I have to make with traditional fitness programming is that by and large, it's too stressful and exhausting for the average participant. So when you go to a, a wonderful uh, worldwide program like CrossFit, these people love it. They get in shape. There's a tremendous camaraderie. There's the social aspect. It's the centerpiece of their lives. But in many cases, um, the people who are looking for kind of a, a healthy, uh, you know, sensible fitness experience are getting left behind because they're getting pushed and challenged too much. And then they get tired and broken down. And there's this huge rate of attrition in a lot of mainstream fitness programming and even something wonderful like a Peloton bike. I love their uh, technology. Uh, the, the machinery is great. You can order one, get it delivered to your house and, and people love doing that. But then let's check in three years later and see if they're still getting on that bike, you know, a few days a week and enjoying the experience or something happened that has pushed them off of this wonderful, healthy, active, energetic, fit lifestyle. And so I'm concerned in my you know, programming and the message that I share is I want people to make it easy and enjoyable and sustainable and not misinterpret a message from a jock person like myself saying, hey, it's great. Uh, ride your bike to the top of the highest mountain in, <laughs> in your area uh, and, and, and you'll, be, uh, you'll be fit for life. And uh, so if, if that's the message that I, I want to convey, uh, the next thing I'll say is that you know, fitness can happen anywhere, anytime in daily life. So if you start your morning with leashing up the dog, getting out the door, no matter what the weather and taking a walk around the block, this can be a life-changing experience for the many, many people. There was a recent survey by Adweek that 84% of Americans, I'd say the same for Canadians, 84% of Americans reach for their mobile device as their first act upon awakening and two-thirds of those people are still in bed. So what we mostly do as a culture is wake up in bed, reach for the device, and then we start to engage with this device that puts us into this reactive dopamine triggering mode where we're looking at novel stimulation and we've departed 
from, let's say, this ideal morning mindset of being reflective and uh, and focused and prioritizing our day and realizing what's valuable to us and taking action toward our health and toward our you know active lifestyle. So the distinction between just getting up, leashing up the dog and walking around the block versus you know slamming your your text messages and your social media feed can be a fantastic progress, even if the block is only five minutes around. And it's only a five-minute slice of your day that you devote. It sets you up for more success, better decision-making, more resilience against fatigue and distraction and all these things that grab us during daily life and set us off our best laid plans to be that healthy, fit, active, energetic, focused, disciplined person who eats well and exercises in the manner that they dream about. Well, I love that. And yeah, starting off the day off right is absolutely critical. It's interesting that 84% of people grab the phone and we're not starting off the day in a powerful way. And there's also a lot of studies just on walking. My friend, Mark England, he likes to talk to people and he said, well, this is his story. And he goes, I like to talk to people. So every time I see a fit older person, I ask them what they do. And a hundred percent of them say they walk. So he started to walk. He gets up and walks. He goes, I wake up walking every day. And so um, you know, it's just a simple thing, but it's very brilliant because you're starting it, you're starting the pattern in the right direction, and then it can snowball in that direction rather than, you know, going into the cell phone, which is a bigger problem, I feel, than most people uh, consider. And then the other thing you're speaking about is just something that I don't take into consideration too often because I don't really mind what people think. And maybe it's because I'm on like the athletic side where I've been an athlete my whole life. It's just I've been a martial artist as a part of what I've liked, you know, and and sports something I've always done. Um, I don't see the intimidation thing, but it is a big factor for most people. Just if they want to get, if they're looking to get healthy, to be in shape, to um, have longevity, the things that you're talking about to consider those things. You don't have to do the craziest thing, just make it Uh a part of your life and and learn how to get over those limiting beliefs and get in the gym. But then there are the other people that I work with and the other people that listen to the show that, you know, they want to master something. And I feel like the mastery of anything, whether it's sports, whether it's martial arts, whether it's music, whether it's business, if you really pursue mastery, Everything you learn on that path can be applied to anything. And so we can use those tools, whatever uh, most inspires us. And so you talk a little bit about passion. And so I'm sure the tools that you learn from becoming an elite athlete can transfer over to your newer passions as your life continues to unfold. Yeah, well said. And and to answer that initial question, and you you asked me, you know, what did it take and what tools did you use to get to a high level as an athlete? And I think the most important message that I can share is that one must cultivate what I call a pure motivation for pursuing these goals. So I absolutely loved and enjoyed the entire process of challenging myself as a triathlete, spending all day training, traveling around the world, uh, suffering the you know t- terrible and, and devastating defeats and setbacks, and then having great success. All of that stuff was a great lifestyle that I was immersed in, and I appreciated the process at all times. So when one becomes overly fixated on results, that's when we get into big trouble and it leads to unhappiness. Even when we succeed, it certainly leads to unhappiness when we fail. And then instead of leveraging failure to be a personal growth experience, we become discouraged and we retreat, just like I described with the people that are um, trying to get into uh, you know, a, 
a fitness experience and they didn't lose enough weight in the first six weeks or uh, they fell behind the pace set by uh, the people that they exercise with or any of these things that are kind of results-oriented mindset. So, I believe that results will come naturally when your motivation is pure and you're not worried about it. And in fact, I referenced times when I was uh, competing on the pro triathlon circuit and when I was really enjoying it and I wasn't so stressed about the ins and outs of what place I took. I just wanted to pursue personal improvement and the joy of competition, win or lose. That's when I was actually able to win and be at my best. And when I started to succumb to the pressures and the judging forces of the outside world, and of course, as a pro athlete, it's a business. So I had sponsors, I had negotiations, I had decisions to make, and it was all kind of clouding the potential for a pure motivation. You, of course, have to navigate that if you want to compete as a professional. There's going to be these real-life aspects, such as if I go fast, I get to pay my mortgage. And if I am not doing well, um, I'm worried about you know <laughs> all those economic factors. Uh, but when I was able to be in that center of power, in that mindset where I appreciated it regardless of the outcome and didn't attach my self-esteem to the outcome of what I was doing... That's when I was able to make the best decisions. I was able to be patient. I was allowing the process of fitness to unfold in a natural and you know intuitive manner. In contrast, when I was succumbing to the pressure and really worked up on how self-important I was in my little career as an athlete, that's when I forced my body to do things that it wasn't naturally meant to be. And I'd get injured, I'd get overtrained, I'd get exhausted. I'd race too much when I was uh, feeling good and all these things that you sort of have to recover from and get back to your basics and back to your roots. And you asked about leveraging that. And that's what the great beauty of, of, of being an athlete and being in such a, um, you know, a, 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 a career where everything was so out in the open. Um, and you learn those lessons of success and failure so graphically. So like if I screwed up with my preparation, I'd fly across the world and get my ass kicked. And then I'd have to fly home and go, wow, my ego got the better of me for the past eight weeks in training because I was so, you know, getting so self-important and thinking that I was better and I was going to win and all these things that I made bad decisions. I got myself exhausted and I get sent home in the cargo section of the plane in a body bag. And so you have to get over yourself. You have to put your ego on the sideline at all times in order to be a top athlete. It's just how it works. And that's when, you know, you can really make those progressions and then leverage that in everything that you do in daily life. So after my racing career was over, I became a parent. I raised two kids there, uh, 25 and 23. And for a while, especially when you're immersed in modern culture and the age of the helicopter parent, I don't know if those helicopter parents are in Canada, uh, but I, I know that it's the, it's the baseline parenting approach seemingly today where the parent is breathing down the neck of the child at all times and, and controlling and orchestrating everything. And then in many ways, living life through the achievements of the kid and bragging too much and being too connected to the kid's results in order to fill some void or in other words, in order to uh, keep up with what is the cultural norms. And so I had to check myself a lot and try to take my ego out of the parenting equation just so I could serve my kid and allow them to find their own path and not perform as a show pony for their proud father. There's the work of Carol Dweck, the author of Mindset. I'll never forget this, where um, there was 
a second guessing of the uh, the the typical strategy of telling your kid, I'm so proud of you. You drew such a great picture. I'm so proud of you. You scored a goal in the soccer game. I'm so proud of you. You got straight A's. And it might be something to reflect upon and change to, you should be really proud of yourself. You worked hard on soccer this whole season and you scored a goal. That must feel great. That's a huge difference from saying, I'm really proud of my kid. You should see how uh, well he dribbles the soccer ball and scores a goal because that kind of takes it away from the kid. And now it's just another thing where your ego is permeating the scene to the detriment of the long-term, the kid's long-term development. And the, the research in mindset and, and elsewhere shows that when kids are praised for their achievements, they start to protect that uh, that attribute. So if the kid comes home with straight A's and you say, oh my gosh, you are so smart. You, you aced another math test. They are reluctant to challenge themselves with more difficult math problems uh, in, in fear of perhaps losing that distinction of being so smart and so naturally good at math. All these are uh, terrible things to say to your kid, believe it or not. There's also talk about, um, especially in females and the cultural uh, challenges that females have to uh, continue to battle with, um, you know, the objectification and all those things. If you so much as tell your daughter how pretty she looks, you have to watch that and challenge that and be careful. Because uh, someone who is, you know, uh, physically beautiful and ex experiences accolades uh, on those lines throughout life will start to uh, traffic in those attributes instead of developing other aspects of their personality. So everything that you say is loaded. And um, Ashley Merriman, author of Top Dog, she talks about this a lot too, where um, we want to, back to the subject of kids, we want to praise their effort made toward improvement. Not just praise the effort because uh, people can bang their heads against the wall and have a shitty job for 10 years and their parents are like, I'm proud of you. You're really uh, moving up the ladder in the corporate uh, world and they hate it, but they're getting praised because they work hard. And so beyond working hard comes this aspect of making efforts appropriately so that you're improving and becoming a better person. So it's great to praise the effort, but then the end result, let your kid own that. So, I mean, a kid who scores a goal in a soccer game, believe me, they don't need to hear about it on the way home in the car, that, that, how great they are. They have that magical experience of, of achieving something and, and persevering through difficult challenges. And I'm talking in the realm of parent-child right now, but guess what? <laughs> we ourselves, we deserve the same courtesy toward ourselves. So, you know, pat yourself on the back for making efforts toward improvement. I'm trying to become a better podcast host, Matt. So are you. You're dealing with technology and changing your beautiful purple background to a different color, whatever, you know, and it feels great to be on this path of trying hard to make a contribution to the planet, serving others, all these great things. And you know, um, it's it's okay to celebrate success and all that, but I think it's really important to always keep it in perspective and not get you know not get too uh, wedded to the ego demands and uh, not traffic in any of the uh, the self pity and the discouraging that comes from being overly attached to results. 
I love all that. And I totally agree. When I'm coaching people, I often use the idea, especially uh, when it comes to sports, where if your self-worth isn't on the line, when you go to perform, whether it's to play a game and, you know, a definitive idea is, you know, if, you know, someone has a breakaway to win the game or something, or LeBron James has a shot to win the championship, if his self-worth is on the line or the basketball player, the player, the tennis player, whatever, they got that last shot. If you said self-esteem, you know, self-worth, it's a similar idea. Well, they're going to be more stressed out about that. They're not going to just allow themselves to play to their best ability, you know, that they can do it in the moment. They're not going to have the same decision-making and they're going to have stress hormones go through the body. So they're not going to perform the, the same way. They're going to perform. And so this goes through uh, in micro lessons and how you engage in everything, how you engage in your mm-hmm. training, how you would have engaged with your sponsors, how you engage with um, maybe, you know, challenges within your family, if that's where you're dealing with this stuff. So the idea of just trying to let go of the stress to the outcome is a big one and really engaging with the process. And I started to listen to, I think it's Dale Carnegie's book, how to stop worrying or something. Cause I read how to win friends and influence people, which mm. is an excellent book from back in the day. And I, and I realized he had another one. And so uh, I just started to listen to that and he, the way he's able to articulate things and bring story to the simple lessons is, is very powerful. And the first lesson he talks about is, you know, live each day as its own uh, compartment, you know, don't live in the past. And we've heard that before, um, but all your stress is from moving to the future or thinking about the past. Like if you could do your best that day and in that moment and continue to go through that process. And if you can do it with even enthusiasm and joy and contentment, and passion, that's very, very powerful. And that's done each day. It's not like in the future, when you get to the spot, then you'll be more passionate and more enthusiastic. Mm. It's really engaging with the process wherever you are now, because it goes through a full cycle, you know, for you, like, or a young person, it's, you've got these dreams and then you work really hard to get them. And then maybe you achieve them and then maybe you lose them. And then maybe you achieve them again. You know what I mean? And it's just this roller coaster of life that continues to go. So if we can have a mindset and a philosophy and perspective that allows for those ups and downs and for those results to be whatever they are. And when you're talking about with the kids, it's so important, like you said, to praise the effort, uh, Carol Dweck's book, growth mindset is so key with that just to say, Hey, it doesn't matter. Um, you know what the result is. It matters that you tried your best that, you know, um, that you gave your effort, or if you know that you needed to give more because then you know what you're capable of. And that was one thing training Mm -hmm. with the Shaolin monks helped me do, or training with even the, the Tibetan monks, because, you know, they force you into these certain training protocols and lengths of time you wouldn't do on your own or it's very hard to do on your own. And so then you realize you're capable of much more. And then it just expands your possibility and your horizons around effort. And then what's possible Mm. with sustained effort. Love it, man. Um, I'm thinking of my favorite quote from Mark Manson, one of my favorite podcast guests, author of the mega bestseller, the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Uh, If we're getting bleeped, I'm sure people are familiar with him and his his very popular book, um, but he he says on this topic, quote, self-worth is an illusion and it's actually a form of low-level narcissism. And then he talks about how it's better to live your life and see your life as a series of decisions and actions. 
And if you just see your life as a series of decisions and actions and don't get your self-worth wrapped up into it, that's when you have true freedom because you're free from the demands of the ego. You're free from the uh, very fragile um uh, you know, uh, forces of uh, judgment and, you know, outside recognition. And it's a beautiful thing to think about. And I, I don't think gets enough attention these days because we often hear the opposite message where, you know, you want to work on your self-esteem and work through all your, your, your traumas and your baggage so that you can feel better about yourself. And I don't think it we're, you know, there's some semantics involved here, but if, if people can reflect on that a bit, I think it's really valuable to just, um, you know, get over yourself and go for it and live the life that you want. And it's just decisions and taking action, making decisions, making good decisions, taking actions, decisions that serve you. That's when you're really free. Yeah, that's an interesting take on that. I've never heard that before. What it what it brings up for me is the idea of just it it eliminates the. Uh, the ego and persona, right? It's like, okay, this is my identity, right? So it's just see it as a series of, you know, decisions and what you've done is very analytical. I don't have to attach my whole identity, all my past to that, who I believe I am, who I, you know, think I could be and all these different things. And so then it becomes emotional where, where that's just tactical. It's just, you're looking at it as, mm. as decisions and it's not putting the ego and identity to it. And I think that goes back to what we were talking about before with just engaging with the process, letting go of the result, and then seeing what you can do to reflect and then improve on making better decisions, um, better actions, and then testing. Because no matter what we're doing, we're always learning and improving. And the best way to learn and improve is to take massive action and continue mm. to take massive action. And then when we have failures, just to learn from those. And anyone who's achieved anything great in their world where they tried to achieve a goal, it's not a straightforward roadmap. It's this hunky-dory wild scenario that you can't, even if you have a coach and a mentor, you can't replicate perfectly, even with mm. training and marathon and strength coaching and whatever it is, or business, it's going to be, a, even though there are principles that carry over, the path is different for everyone, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, in every single way. So we can find people who can help us accelerate the process, but it's, I believe, the willingness to engage you know, the willingness to keep trying the willingness. And like you, I think you talked about it at the beginning here. Um, what did you say for goal setting, uh, pure motivation and goal setting. Mm. So if I found in a lot of coaching that I've done where people aren't successful, it's because they didn't have a goal or a vision that would truly authentic to them and that they, that they just give up on the first roadblock. But if it truly was there, something that really inspired them, then it doesn't matter how many roadblocks you have because you're just engaging in the process. Love it. That's right. And it's all, uh, you know, it's all meant to be wherever you are right now is part of your destiny. And we just have to pay attention and, um, you know, kind of get away from these ruts, which are so easy to fall into. Um, I, I would say, you know, raise your hand if you, if you've never fallen into a rut of, of any kind. And there's, there's not many, e even people who are really high functioning and successful in this way or that way can get into, uh, you know, a, emotional disturbance despite their tremendous success. And, um, it's something that I try to think about more and more these days where, um, do I have blind spots? Am I in a rut that I don't even realize I'm in because it's so familiar to me? And, boy, that's when, you know, the, the magic comes out where you can just have a clean slate 
and not have to, uh, you know, traffic in, in all that noise and that attachment to, um, you know, past behaviors and, and so forth. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, with your stuff, I kind of want to dive into it a little bit here because we've been going, having a nice conversation on the side, but I've been looking up some of the courses and some of the things that you teach. You know, you have a, um, a morning routine guideline, you have uh, an energy course, you know, you have a lot of different courses out there. I'm curious for an individual, let, I don't, I don't know how, what do you, which one do you think would be best for the audience to learn? Because I want to learn it all. When I look at them, I'm like, okay, how do I master that? My question that's like more broad is like, if someone's listening to this and they're an average person, how do they upgrade their life from mm-hmm. like, you know, using these morning routines, but then getting unstuck. I think a lot of people, whether they're maybe they're not unclear, unclear where they want to go. They they're maybe not a hundred percent enthusiastic with where their life is. Maybe it's their job or the relationship. And you seem to be one of those guys that has a nice balance of, you know, happiness and enthusiasm and clear direction. And I feel like if more of us can kind of find that sweet spot, that would be better. And I think all the stuff you teach is linked to that, your diet, your overall health, your overall energy, your outlook on life and philosophy. And, and each of your courses is kind of a little tidbit of that. So I don't know how to phrase that in a question that is the ultimate question where I get all the nuggets. Yeah, thanks, Matt. I have so much fun uh, hosting these online courses and creating a ton of video content along with a ton of written content so that we we hit you with all aspects of, you know, how to tackle a certain subject and have a have a true impact. And a lot of it's uh, directed toward being interactive. So I think we have enough content to last ourselves a lifetime, right? You can go on YouTube and and learn about anything from uh, changing your oil in the car to transforming your diet to developing an awesome morning routine. So I think it's important to like sign up for an experience and make a commitment where you're going to do, um, you know, some some actual behavior change and take action. So you talked about my online courses at bradkearns.com. Thanks for the plug. And there's a bunch of different ones. One of them's just about my morning exercise routine, which has been totally life-changing. Even from an athletic guy like myself, it sounds kind of funny, but whatever I do the rest of the day, I start my day. I mentioned leashing up the dog and taking a walk around the block. I do some mobility, flexibility exercises and drills, and it's grown over time. It started out with a really modest little calisthenic session that took 12 minutes. And now my first thing that I do every morning is a pretty ambitious sequence of exercises. And boy, um, whatever else I do the rest of the day, at least I have this fitness foundation that serves me when I go and do my formal workouts. And guess what? I'm into sprinting and high jumping. And so, you know, I have fitness as a centerpiece of my life. But if that's not you right now, and you can make that five-minute commitment to leash up the dog and walk around the block, that may grow, may very well grow to you walk the dog around the block, then you go in the backyard, you do a set of squats, you uh, you get a uh, contraption where you can pull the stretch cords and do a little bit of fitness stuff, and you start getting into these behaviors that turn into habit, meaning that they're comfortable and doable and sustainable. Um, another best-selling book, James Clear, Atomic Habits, he makes this really important point that if you want to form a new habit, make it so ridiculously easy that the entry barrier is very low. So you, you, know, you have a very low bar to jump over every day and say, of course, I can leash up the dog and walk around the block for five minutes. But if we, speaking of getting stuck and getting into ruts, a lot of times we get stuck by 
that discouraging mindset, that fear, that intimidation, and that sense of overwhelm that comes from all the content that we're hit with and all the messaging that we're hit with to the extent that, yeah, I can identify, you know, 37 areas of my life that need improvement. I need to get in better shape. I need to quit being so mean to my girlfriend. I need to, uh, you know, get my business act together. Uh, I'm, I'm so, I'm, you know, I'm so far down the totem pole from where I wish I dreamed I could be. And all it is is a, a sob story unless you can find a way to make tiny little changes that are not painful that you actually enjoy and appreciate. So I guess the first message I would have for people is like, do not get overwhelmed no matter what. Do not get discouraged no matter what, because wherever you're starting from today, it's okay. And you can go forward by making a decision to, to do something simple and see if you can leverage and get some momentum and never, you know, look back or feel like, you know, you had this uh, rocket that, that that took off and then, you know, went into uh, a dead end mode and everything uh, fell apart. And I see that a lot of times in the areas, my particular interest and focus, uh, things like diet and fitness goals. So, you a lot of times see this uh, super ambitious uh, all or nothing mentality and it lasts for two weeks or four months or whatever it is, but it's unsustainable and it's not deeply and inherently pleasurable or natural to the participant. And so they finally give up and, and you know, kind of drift back into um, the things that they're not, they're not happy about doing. And I think that can easily be rectified by just taking the pressure off yourself and doing things that are, you know, bite-sized. And so the morning routine is a great example because, um, you know, that's a huge, massive life change to not reach for that phone and instead get up, go outside, ideally, because you can get that light exposure into your suprachiasmatic nucleus and set your circadian rhythm beautifully that will help you get a good night's sleep later that evening. But it all starts first thing in the morning with getting exposure to light and ideally physical movement. I mean, some people swear by their morning routine of crossword puzzle, cup of coffee, gratitude journal, and meditation on the cushion for 20 minutes. That's fantastic. That's beautiful. I'm particularly advocating for physical movement because we have so many sedentary forces in modern life that keep us chained to the screen all day long. So if you can start your day getting moving, it's like massively better than the greatest cup of coffee because you get naturally energized by getting your body in gear after it's been laying on a bed for hopefully a, a lot of hours. Yeah, absolutely. I totally agree how that can be a game changer for many reasons. And meditation is a beneficial practice, something I've done a lot of in my life. However, you can do a walking meditation, anything that allows you to hold your focus. So as you're walking, if you want to make that a walking meditation, you know, just do your best to stay focused and aware as you're walking. And I feel like what's more challenging in the world now is people moving their body, as you said, is being a little bit too sedentary, you know, being a little bit too lethargic and not having enough fitness. So if you can just do that, you're going to experience a radical shift because it does a lot of stuff mentally too, right? Like if you're bummed out, if you're stressed out, if you, if you str uh, struggle from worry, anxiety, depression, go to the gym. And, and you spoke about something before too, that I think is important. It's like the idea of choice overload. You know, if you go to the gym and there's a thousand different things, you've never been in there, you're intimidated. You don't know what to do. You go to a gym and there's a treadmill and a rower, you know, you're like, okay, well, I'm going to pick one and I'm just going to get on this thing. 
and you can go do it and it's not as intimidating and overwhelming. So we have this choice overload that happens very often. And it happens when we have this mental stimulus too. It's like if you wake up and you grab your phone and all you see is all these updates and the email and everything you need to do, it's like your computer being you know full of all this stuff that you have to do and you, you can't filter it out. It's too much rather than that one task you need to focus on now. It makes you feel like there's space there's peace, you can concentrate, uh, you feel very different. And it's a very different way in engaging with your day-to-day tasks. And it's something that you can choose and decide that will help mm. how you see everything else that unfolds. And in your work, you you also talk about, you know, you've got the morning routine, which I think is a great, um, important step. Diet is a crazy one. So I know you touch on that. Um, and rest and recovery. There's a lot of other things I'd love to touch on, but I'd love for you to touch a little bit on a little bit on diet because that one is getting crazy out there with people. And, you know, so one day it's like only eat vegan, then it's only eat meat. Then it's like eggs are good. And that's eggs are bad. I'm like, damn it, man. Like what is going on out there that, and this is one I don't know, like, what do I eat? <laughs> you know, yeah. how do I do this? What's healthy for me? So if we want to have like a clean diet, someone's out there, you know, I want to have more energy. I want to have balance in my life. What are they eating? What are they doing? Oh my gosh. What an awesome setup, Matt. I've done so many podcasts specifically on diet, having written so many books on the subject and been deeply immersed in this for uh, the last 15 years, especially. Uh, but that was great because here's the thing, especially the deeper you get into it. So if I'm living and breathing this subject and working on book after book after book and, and staying up with the research and listening to massive amount of content from the world's leading experts who have spent their life studying nutrition, medical science, health science, the more I, <laughs> the more I learn, the, the, the more I realize how little I know and how we can easily get uh, wedded into fixed and rigid beliefs that don't serve us because humans crave certainty. We want black and white. We want to be confident and sure that we're, we're doing the right thing, especially for our health. And then we kind of uh, look for confirmation bias, which is the term for um, finding only things that you agree with. That's kind of the essence of um, the, the curated internet experience, right? From the big providers, they send you on your feed stuff that you respond to. So you start getting uh, a certain political, a certain dietary uh, philosophy that keeps getting spit at you and you have blind sides that you develop. And so I am now um, super uh, concerned with the big picture and taking a few steps back from my super enthusiastic, energetic self where I can talk about my latest book and all the big things. Now it's like, wait a second, we got to slow down. We got to turn the, the, the gas pedal down a little bit and just hit the basics so that we can someday progress the conversation to the nuances that allow us for that, that last few percentage of optimization. And the big elephant in the room that we have to address is uh, processed food. That is basically the essence of the modern diet. And if you can clean up your act and get this food out of your home as your first order of business, then we can continue to have a conversation about diet. But if there are nutrient deficient processed foods that are still present 
and your daily eating habits, that's when you are setting yourself up for a life of accelerated demise and disease and decline that we see as the centerpiece and the single most important health problem facing the planet today. Um, it used to be starvation was the number one uh, public health problem related to diet and nutrition. And now it's flipped from starvation to overeating, which is pretty funny. I mean, that's a great success for the, uh, you know, the undeveloped world to be able to, to say that we can now, um, nourish just about everybody on the globe. Um, and then now we're looking at, wait a second, uh, people by and large eat too much of the wrong kinds of foods. And we're now for the first time in the history, uh, recorded history, uh, today's children have a lower life expectancy than their parents, largely due to the influence of uh, modern dietary habits. You've probably seen the research on testosterone and how the average level of testosterone has declined precipitously over time. Um, since the 80s, it's declined at a rate of about 1% per year, the average testosterone level of a male at whatever age. I'm not saying the decline that we experience ourselves as we get older, we're going to have a drop in hormones that's natural and expected, but it's actually pretty small if we are able to uh, sustain healthy lifestyle practices. But the average Joe walking around today has less testosterone than dad or grandpa. And that is a real eye-opener. There's a lot of blame going around. One of them is the exposure to plastics and environmental estrogens that are in our detergents and uh, skincare products and things like that. So we have a dirtier environment, but it's mainly due to the consumption of nutrient deficient processed foods that promote uh, inflammation, oxidative damage in the body. Uh, they interfere with our own ability to burn energy successfully. So we become uh, we, we, we become bad at burning stored body fat, for example, and instead are forced to rely upon more crappy foods to get us through that lazy afternoon at work when we start to get brain fog and start to experience that drop in energy. That should not happen, but it's happening Happening largely as a consequence of adverse lifestyle practices, not getting enough sleep is in there, not doing enough exercise or general movement, but choosing these foods that have, you know, let's say instant gratification. If you do like to have a bag of Cheetos in the afternoon at the workplace, you're getting a, a small bit of pleasure, but you're ruining your metabolism in the process. And this part, I think, is really, um, it's an appealing way to look at it. Because we're not asking the individual to engage in deprivation and struggling and suffering. That is the common approach to uh, diet and signing up for Weight Watchers or tracking your own calories and you know depriving yourself of uh, you know what you perceive to be the great enjoyments of life. But it's instead replacing the crappy food with foods that you really enjoy that are truly nourishing to the body at the cellular level so that you walk away from the table and you feel nourished and energized and satisfied and are actually good for your body. And that's not too hard of an ask for the average person. It just entails a, a little bit of effort to uh, be conscious, make that change, go to the store, shop for nutritious foods, try to source the best foods. I have a chart that you can download from my website. It's called the Carnivore Scores Food Rankings Chart. And I have a tiered ranking system for the most nutritious foods on earth. 
like the true superstars of the maximum nutrition are things like oysters, salmon eggs, uh, grass-fed liver. Then we have grass-fed beef. We have pasture-raised eggs. We have the very best uh, in all the categories, and that can help serve as a guide. But what you don't see on there are the swirling, sugary Starbucks drinks and the uh, the candy bars and the snacks and the donuts and the crispy cakes and the uh, the you know the the meals that are you know full of a lot of calories but don't truly nourish the body. So that's my that's my starting that's my entry point for dietary discussions. Well, I love all that. It's so important. And you know, for those of you out there who think you know what processed foods are, I just invite you to Google it because with everything that. <laughs> It all started with the law summit where I thought I knew stuff and I would just look it up. So and anything in a package, right? Like any, anything at all. So this kind of goes to where people say, you know, choose raw food where it's like you have the carrot as it is. You have the meat as it is. You have the egg as it is. You know what I mean? And so, but if you take those ingredients and you mix them together, that's still fine. You know, you're just not getting it out of a package. And so understanding, you know, what are the most nutritious ingredients? And then a tricky one that got me is spices are not spices sauces i would just then i would make this delicious thing i throw the sauce on there and then i really started looking at the package and i'm like holy smokes like you know ketchup is icing sugar like this is this is crazy i had no idea and so it took me a long time to eat better i feel like there is a huge uh room for improvement in my life but just reading packages and then buying a lot less packages and it's getting pretty expensive to eat healthy. And I'd love to hear your um, two cents on maybe like, uh, I like hearing just a breakfast, lunch and dinner ideas where it's not too expensive or snacks too. I think that's where people really mess up is snacks. You know, they just, they get hungry. And that's what I'm like. I get hungry mm. and I need to eat. And once it hits me, I need to eat everything. And so if I've got some healthy snacks, that really mm. helps. And, and I'd love to hear some of those ideas. So that way in this, Oh, in this chart, I would love to see this chart too. So I'm going to download that myself. And that's how I, I'm pretty basic. Uh, so I'll just gr grab the chart, grab those ingredients, throw it. There's no flavor on it, but I'm happy with that because of the idea. Like I eat for uh, fuel and nutrition. Mm -hmm. I don't eat for uh, flavor, but a, a mm -hmm. lot of other people do that. So if you combine flavor and nutrition, it's sure. better. But I'm just like, I want the fuel. You know, I'm. I, that's my most important thing. Yeah. I mean, we have uh, the right to enjoy our lives, but I will make a strong argument that when you nourish yourself with the most nutritious and delicious foods, that's going to be maximum enjoyment of life. And that you can't really be honest and say that I absolutely love those Cheetos and those potato chips and that junk food. And I, I can't live without my Twinkies. It's just habit and it's programming and it's the marketing forces. So these evil marketing forces that have been pitching this stuff and, and programming us since we were little kids to associate a Twinkie with pleasure and celebration and excitement and, and all that crap. Um, you know, we're, we're obligated to try and source the best foods and support the economy in that manner rather than buying this crap that's been, you know, killing, uh, the, speaking of grandpa and father and our, and our family, everyone's been touched by disease and, and the, the incredible rates of cancer and heart disease that continue to be the top killers in the world, even with all the advancements in medicine. Um, this stuff is entirely preventable, uh, largely by making good food choices or, or at least starting there. So we had a couple things you threw at me. And one of them was the budget concern, which is, um, 
something to appreciate tremendously, especially when we get a lot of programming of people who are seemingly living a superior lifestyle and here's their super expensive car and you too can uh, do it if you take my course and I'll take you from zero to a million in, in 60 days. And that stuff kind of turns my stomach too. But when it comes to food, first of all, I'm going to uh, put in a plug for prioritizing. So whatever budget level you are at, if you're on public assistance and you're in real trouble, you can still uh, have some discretionary choices here where sourcing good foods becomes important. And let me uh, take a look at your entire budget. If you're telling me you can't afford a dozen eggs um, from you know a pasture-raised source, which is you know a couple bucks more than regular eggs, but the return, the the improvement in nutritional value from a properly raised egg. They're called pasture raised. It says it right on the box. That's vastly superior than an egg that comes from a chicken that was uh, cooped up in the feedlot and fed inferior diet and so forth. So in the categories of budget, simple foods like eggs, you can do a lot better by spending a couple bucks more. When it comes to fish, um, the most nutritious fish on the planet with the least concerns about um, energy toxicity like mercury and also about the uh, over-farming come from the SMASH family. That stands for sardines, mackerel, anchovies, uh, salmon, and herring. And these are inexpensive canned fish that you can find anywhere that are some of the most budget-friendly items that deliver maximum nutrition. Same with uh, well-chosen produce, uh, especially fruit and everything from the uh, wonderful, uh, colorful family of wholesome, nutritious foods that are grown from the earth. These are not high dollar items. And if you compare and contrast to someone who lives a fast food lifestyle and orders up a pizza at 11 p.m. Uh, for $17, $3 tip for the driver, you're starting to get back to even uh, when you're when you're talking about a truly nutritious diet. And I talked about the, the global superstars. One of them is grass-fed liver. Uh, the organ meats, by and large, are super cheap because nobody wants them, even though they have more nutritional value than the typical muscle meats that we emphasize when we're talking about eating animal products. So uh, ground beef is another one that is a superior source of nutrition that is extremely inexpensive. So even if you go and prioritize grass-fed, which is a lot better than uh, conventionally raised animals, you're going to pay more, but it's not going going to be um, a material concern for someone who's trying to uh, trying to optimize nutrition and stay on a budget. Well, I, I love all those. I've never heard of the smash uh, category before. I, I had heard about the liver because the liver king going super viral. Um, and I tried again and I just like, I try to eat as I do you know how I could eat that and not be grossed out with it. Oh yeah, man. I got a few tips for you because yeah. it's not, it's not my favorite, but it is a true superfood. It and is. Yeah. It's from got a, everything in it, right? It's just yeah. like, it's just, it literally has everything. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to eat this. <laughs> just, yeah. I mean, okay. uh, you can get your, your vegan guest on next week and they can, uh, talk about their objections. But if you look at it from a, just an independent you know, under the microscope biology perspective, liver is, you know, undisputed king of the planet with the in tremendous levels of all the nutrients it needs, vitamins A, D, E, K, choline, all these great things, same with the pasture-raised eggs. Now, um, it's a little squishy and squeamish for people. And so one of my tips is I cut it into little chunks and I freeze the chunks, and then I will take them out and consume them 
frozen and heavily salted. So I'll just chew on a frozen block of liver and it has almost no taste because it's frozen. I will also throw these chunks into my smoothie along with a whole bunch of frozen fruit to kind of mask the taste of the liver. And then, of course, if you pan fry it in a skillet uh, and people you know, have all kinds of recipes where you soak it in milk to get rid of some of that um, un- unusual flavor or put in you know, things like liver and onions is a longtime popular traditional uh, meal. You can, you can make it work if you put it into priority or I promote a uh, organ pill supplement. So if you really don't want to go to the store and buy your heart and your kidney and your liver, you can get freeze-dried animal organs. I have this product called MoFo and it's uh, in association with Liver King and his company, Ancestral Supplements. So um proud to promote. Uh, it's really made for testosterone optimization because it has um, it has testicles, prostate, heart, liver, and bone marrow in a freeze-dried capsule. So the capsule doesn't taste like anything. And I get my organ meat game up to high standard. But again, this is kind of getting into the sophisticated area of how to optimize your diet. So my first encouragement is to ditch uh, what I've often called the big three categories of toxic modern food. And that would be refined sugars, grains, and industrial seed oils, also known as vegetable oils. And so these are all that stuff in a box, all the frozen stuff. You can look on the label. If you see a bunch of chemicals on the label, or you see um, the canola corn, soybean, safflower, sunflower oil, that's what a lot of processed products are made with. And most experts are in agreement that these refined industrial seed oils are the single number one dietary enemy because they cause an instant disturbance to healthy cellular function as soon as they're ingested. They're very, very bad for you. And unfortunately, they're prevalent in all kinds of food. So if you go to fast food and you get your French fries or you go to fine dining and you get your meal cooked in these oils, even when you ordered the uh, the, the chicken and the broccoli, uh, and it just finds its way into the food supply to a, a tremendous extent. And if you're home cooking with these oils from a bottle and you're pouring canola oil into your pan, please immediately throw that away and switch to a more appropriate temperature stable fat like butter uh, and and you know all the things in that category or is olive oil okay yeah olive oil would be a high monounsaturated oil and also people are popular uh, cooking with avocado oil which is more temperature stable another high monounsaturated oil same with consuming the avocado is a great source of monounsaturated fat which has a lot of health properties but the thing we want to stay with stay away from is this uh, category of high polyunsaturated industrial seed oils. And these are uh, made with a lot of uh, uh, objectionable chemicals and high temperature processing methods such that you are consuming free radicals in a bottle. That's a quote from Dr. Kate Shanahan, who I regard as the world's leading crusader against these industrial seed oils. It's so bad for your body that it's basically uh, like getting an x-ray, you know, exposure to radiation prompts free radical damage immediately in the body. And so she makes it akin to consuming radiation in a bottle is her quote. My it's, it's a bad deal. Yeah. yeah, no, food food is nuts. Like if people, you know, you, you talk about whatever conspiracy theories, which I do, and I think that they're great. Just look at food. 
because then you realize what is good. Why, why would Monsanto be doing what they're doing? Why would they be serving half the stuff they're doing? You know, none of this would make any sense if, if, you know, health was our top priority, you know, and you look at, unfortunately, what's going on with the small farms in Canada and the U S they've basically all been destroyed and we should all have, it would be great if all our neighbors kind of grew our own food It's hard to do. Um, but we want, you know, we want to support our local farmers. We want to educate ourselves on buying the right stuff. And what happens when you're on a budget? Well, first of all, you have no idea that this stuff is that bad for you. Right. And then you've got the cooking pans and all these other toxins that come in, you know, we need to play defense first, get rid of all of that (laughs) stuff. Right. And then we can start choosing the right foods. And I can tell you that from my experience, the first time I ate very clean, uh, as an adult was when I was getting prepared for an ayahuasca ceremony. And what was weird was after that, they make you do a, a diet, no sugar, no salt, no salt, no meat, no dairy. And so I went through to the ayahuasca ceremony and then I continued the diet for a little bit and I had such mental clarity. Mm. And it was like, this is so fascinating. You know, I cannot believe, and I started, I was at the time as, you know, Delicio pizzas were in there as like a standard. Um, I would go to the frozen section and get the skillet sensations where they got the chicken. And I thought, I thought that was a healthy choice. <laughs> you know, so it's just like so ridiculous how like, you, you live and learn. And you would learn this from being an athlete, because if you're an athlete, you need to learn how to fuel yourself. And I feel like that's why. You know, whether you can, wherever you are to give yourself some sort of physical goal. And if you can surround it a little bit with the community and do it, not for the result of losing 20 pounds, although that might be the outcome, right? That's your goal. Okay, great. Let's shoot for the goal. But what's the, what, who are you going to become? What are you going to learn? What are you going to need to do to shed that weight, to feel a little bit better to, um, let's just say you haven't done anything to walk 10 miles, to walk 15 miles. You know, just walk 15 miles, right? So you go, okay, today you need to start half a mile. And then you just, you know, little progressive overload, half a mile, one mile, one and a half miles, two miles in a week, you've, you've done 10 miles. But then in that time, you're out in nature, you're thinking, you're um, learning how to listen. That is a meditation. Walking is absolutely mm-hmm. a meditation. Running, as you would know, is an absolute meditation. And so when we can start to, and you, you talked about this as well, is like doing the smallest thing right? The absolute smallest thing. And so when I was talking to my cousin who uh, wanted to lose some weight and he was telling me, I was like, oh, how have you you know, gone to the gym? And I was like, oh, I go you know, two or three times a week. And when he said that, I knew that meant once every two weeks, right? <laughs> and I told him, I said, I said, just go the week, go to the gym every day. I was like, just for a few weeks, go to the gym every day. I don't care if you just walk on the treadmill for 15 minutes, show your butt up there, go every single day, Uh make it a part of your life and just do the minimum thing. And you talked about that as well. Just keep it so simple, right? Do the minimum thing. That's so easy. And what'll happen is you'll end up doing more. Right. Oh, okay. Now I'll try a kettlebell today. Right. But if you think, oh, well, I'll go. Am I doing the kettlebell today? Am I doing what am I doing? You get overwhelmed. You're going to show up. That's the agreement. And you're going to walk five minutes on the, on the treadmill. Right. And that spirals out into all these other things. And we need health right, as far as what we eat. That will lead into uh, our mental health, what we're ingesting, mm-hmm. looking at our phone, what we're um, you know looking at, our physical health, which will give us more energy and more clarity of mind. And that will lead to more passion to then take that life force energy that's basically being sucked from us, and we can put it back into the world in a meaningful and powerful way. And we are expressing our life force here. And I think that's a beautiful journey that people can you know, start to engage with in very, very simple ways of little mm. bit of health, little bit of diet. And I think that's what you are really great at helping people understand. 
Well said, Matt. I love it. Fire people up here. <laughs> well, you know, I could talk to you all day. Like I look at your website and there's a lot of different categories I'd love to touch on. Um, but I want to ask, is there anything that you wish that I'd asked or you'd love to discuss before we close this podcast? Well, it's cool. Like my little tidbit about the morning routine will hopefully stick with people. And that would be a really simple change that you can ponder to consider, you know, what would work for you to start your morning in a, an empowering and beautiful way that would, you know, give you some, some more peace of mind and less engagement with the addictive properties of, uh, hyperconnectivity. Um, so that's a good tidbit. And same with exercise. Like you can launch into a mini workout. I call them a micro workout right here in your cubicle. When you're listening to the show, you can stand up and drop for a set of 20 deep squats. And even if you're in good shape, it's pretty challenging to just bust out 20 squats out of nowhere. And I have all these, uh, <laughs> contraptions and situations in my home environment that set me up for an active lifestyle. So like I have a pull-up bar uh, hanging over the entry to my storage area. And so if I have to go in and get a sticky note, my rule is I do one set of pull-ups. So I'll bust out a random set of pull-ups uh, once in a while. You know, it happens a few times a week. The staircase, to me, I have a fixed rule that anytime I ascend the stairs, I punch it a little bit, like the football players that practice, boom, 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 you know? And so a staircase is something to rush up to get a tiny bit of fitness stimulation. And if you sprinkle these in throughout your day, these great opportunities that don't make you tired, you don't have to get motivated to rush up the staircase. You just have to kind of kick these things into habit, uh, habit level. And I have stretch cords hanging down. I can pull on those anytime I want to get some, some muscle work. But these quote unquote workouts last for maybe 30 seconds, maybe a minute, or maybe I'll get really engaged and need a, a good break from uh, the screen. And so I'll spend five minutes pulling on the stretch cords. And at the end, I'm tired, man. It's a, it's a nice little session and I'm breathing hard. Same with my morning exercise routine. If you watch the uh, the preview on YouTube, it's pretty it's pretty tough. But it's not that tough for me because I do it every single day. So that's kind of the fun part is we can build our skills and build our competency. And then back to uh, you know our nice long discussion about diet. If you can resolve to go through your house and throw away the stuff that has ingredients that don't serve you that are extremely bad for your health and have been proven so, just throw them away and go shopping and buy some good stuff. It's fun. It's doable. It's not a huge ask, and it can set you on the path to, uh, you know, improvement. And then wake up the next day and do some decisions and actions. Don't get too discouraged if you didn't quite measure up to whatever. I think it'll it'll be more freeing, and you have better chance of success. Like you said, you know, you just um, you feel good about uh, an accomplishment. Uh, your cousin going to the gym every day, he's going to be more likely to to stick to it because it actually is enjoyable. I love everything you shared there. It reminded me of Pavel Satsulin's idea of greasing the groove. You ever heard about him? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah so That's what it's all about. Russian, yeah. yeah. Strength coach, popularized kettlebell, a lot of great books. And his thing, I used that for the longest time. That's actually how I got into strength training. And I was snowboarding at the time. And his thing was, mm. if you're in season, do three sets of three deadlifts. I didn't even know how to do a deadlift. So I started to do that. Then I got crazy strong out of so minimalism. It was the mm. minimalist thing that 
I ever did. And then he said, okay, well, if you got a pull-up bar, put one in a doorway and just do a few each time you go through. And before you get tired, that's the key. So if you're going through that door, ideally you got one that you're going through all the time. If you could only do one, start with one. And if you can't do one, get a thick band, make it easy Mm. on it, get a real thick band and get three on that. And the second you get tired, you stop. And every single time you go through, you're greasing the groove. It's kind of like, you know, if you've never walked or if you got really sick and you didn't walk for a week, your legs are like jello, right? They're they're not working. And the air squats is another good one. And so you just got to pick a couple that you're going to commit to. And I always did it in my journal. So when COVID had a lockdown, we uh, couldn't go to the gym. So I had a kettlebell at home. It was 10 sets of 10 throughout the day, a kettlebell swings and a 10 sets of 10 pull-ups. And I just do that every day. And I'd write down where I was in it. And some days it only hit 80 of one thing or 70, but throughout the week and throughout the month, it ended up being, you know, hundreds, right. And then uh, thousands of swings basically. And, but I got very clear on what those were. And then I made it a non-negotiable. So put it somewhere and, you Mm -hmm. know, you can be basic, but air squats, like you said, you know, bust out, it's going to be hard at first. So start with 10. 10 sets of 10 throughout the day, then it'll be 15. And then over time, you know, that number really ramps up over the week, right? You know, 10 sets of 10 is 100, 700 a week, 2,800 a month, right? So over time, your body's really going to adapt. Hope the math is right. I don't know. (laughs) But, you know, it's those micro exercises are such a great idea. And all you really need is a squat. A kettlebell, I think, is the best. A kettlebell, a push-up, and a pull-up bar is all you need. Um, And some walking, you're you're set. So you don't need to compliment. complicate it. Just do something that works for you continuously. Hmm. Love it. Thank cool. you, Matt. Anything you want to add to that? Feel good about that? <laughs> yeah, that's great. Uh, go go visit bradkerns.com and listen to the BRAD podcast. And it, one of the online courses is called the 21 Day Transformation. And that's a really cool one because each day is an assignment in the area of diet, exercise, uh, general health and personal growth. So you have these really bite-sized assignments that you stack for a, a matter of 21 days. The 21 days is meant to be kind of an intense experience, but it's setting you up for a lifetime of of good habits. So I think people would enjoy, you know, you want to get started, you don't quite know where to go. Um, I can help you with that. So I appreciate you calling attention to that stuff. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for the work you do, staying in the game, being uh, an inspiration to a lot of people. So I appreciate your work and for sharing everything you did today. You too, Matt. Keep it up. All right. Take care, guys. See you later. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, the absolutely exceptional Brad Kearns. I hope that you enjoyed that episode, that you found value from it. And if you did, please consider sharing it, uh, leaving a review, finding us over on Spotify. Uh, You may notice a little gap in some communications, and that's because I've been researching how to get the word out there uh the podcast is on youtube i found out in switching my rss feed that some shows weren't getting published on time um so i'm just working through some kinks but we've got some exceptional shows coming your way some really incredible people so if you guys have any questions comments concerns suggestions go to matt at zenathlete.com i love hearing from you guys i do the best i can to produce as many shows as possible while trying to be a father Uh, pursuing my own passions and also running a business so yeah so it's a lot but i always love the podcast and want to get you guys the best guests so if i can't do it it's because uh, i might not just have the time it's not because i don't want to so that's it thank you guys so much for listening i appreciate you so very much i hope that you're doing well so let's come into a state of peace and coherence before we close this show 
Wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing. Take in a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath and let it out slowly, filling every cell, muscle, and fiber of your being with joy, peace, contentment, power, purpose, faith, and get ready to enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.